Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. I'm going to be reading scripture today, and the scripture today is Genesis 5, and it's in your notes if you have your Bible. I'm reading from the ESV, and you can read along with me. Um, This is a genealogy, and for some of us, when we get to these genealogies in the Old Testament, we just check out because it's just like, oh man, 900 years old, 860 years old. These guys lived a long time. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is profitable, and it's breathed out by God for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, and that it's to make us complete, equipped for every good work. So as we read that, let's keep that in mind, that what can we gain from this and what can Barton draw out as we continue in this encounter season? Starting in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them. And he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalal 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all of the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalal had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalal lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalal were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. Let's get back into uh, our encounter series. And if you're just joining us, what we're talking about is how we encounter God, how God encounters us. And when you think about just stories in the Bible where God encounters people, there's many really dramatic ones. I mean, like Moses at the burning bush, really, really dramatic. Uh, think of Isaiah, maybe with his vision where he uh, sees God and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You got these tremendously powerful encounters. But even in the Bible, these kind of things are rare. They're very rare for us as well when we want to talk about dramatic, sensational encounters. And so what I want to do today is to really look at the opposite of this, the more common, the more ordinary ways that we encounter God. They're not so dramatic as a burning bush or something like that. It's our everyday encounter that we can all have 
not just guys like Moses. So to do this, what I want to do this morning is look at a man's life story, and his name is Enoch. You heard his name earlier. Uh, We find his name in this long genealogy that you had read for you in uh, Genesis 5, and I actually cut it off early. There was more to it. Uh, But let's be honest, you weren't fully engaged. At somewhere around verse 10, you started checking out, and you're like, I know how this works, and he died, okay? And then he fathered some people, and he died, right? Uh, makes me makes me think of this old Scottish pastor who is he was reading uh, Matthew chapter one, which is the genealogy of Jesus. It reads the same as Genesis five, basically. And, and he started reading, and Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and, and Jacob begat Judah. And then he kind of looked down the rest of the page, and he goes, and they just on kept on begetting one another for this whole page and half of the next page. <laughs> Because uh, this is what we often do when we read the Bible. We come across these genealogies. We're not sure why this all matters. But as Kevin was saying to us, all Scripture is God-breathed. Not just all the other stuff aside from the genealogies. All of it is. All of it is useful. And so I hope this morning you're going to be able to see that this is not a chapter to skim by quickly. There's some really, really powerful stuff in here for us. I'll show you some of more of it to you later but the most obvious one is this character named Enoch, who just jumps off the page to us and his life story. And when we read his life story, it's kind of summarized like as if you were looking at someone's tombstone and there's just a short paragraph that kind of said what they were most known for and most remembered for. That's what we get with Enoch. Here is the tombstone epitaph for Enoch. It simply says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, all I want to draw to that right now is the language of encounter. But the language of encounter here is not, and Moses saw a burning bush and took off his sandals and he was standing on holy ground. That's not the language of encounter. The language of encounter here is so ordinary. It's the most, one of those ordinary things we ever do in life, and that is walking. He walked with God. Is there anything more normal, more ordinary, more unspectacular than walking? It's not a one-time encounter that Enoch had with God. He daily, regularly, he walked with God. It's not sensational. It's not dramatic. To walk with someone assumes there's a certain level of relationship. Maybe you're growing in a relationship, a certain level of intimacy, that you're going in the same direction, and you have a relationship with the person who you're walking with. Enoch walked with God. That is a great tombstone tombstone epitaph. So this morning, what I want to do is ask three questions about Enoch's life. And what I'm praying is going to happen here is that as we begin to dig into this obscure Genesis genealogy, which most of us have probably just bypassed many times, that we will encounter God in this ordinary, everyday, normal thing that simply is described for us as walking with God. And what I'm really praying today is that maybe there's some of you here today who have never begun walking with God. And I'm praying maybe today you would begin that walk. Maybe others of you have walked with God, but you have walked away. You're not going in the same direction. That this morning God would be pleased to bring you back and you would line up and continue walking with him. And then for those of you who've walked with God for many, many years, that just as you go for a walk with a good friend and the big purpose of that is to grow further and further into your relationship, to enjoy one another, to deepen your intimacy, 
that that would also happen for you this morning. So, three questions. The first question I want to ask is this. How did people know that Enoch walked with God? How did they know? I mean, it clearly was obvious to everyone in his day that he walked with God because Genesis 5 is written like way after his life, and and yet when people look back, everyone remembers. This is the guy. This is the guy Enoch, and what he was most known for was walking with God. So somehow, in some way, people easily traced the secret to his life and really the defining mark of his life to be walking with God. So it makes me just kind of wonder, what was it about Enoch's life that made it so obvious to everyone else around him that he was continually walking with God? Was it the way he used his time? Always setting aside time to worship God, for instance. I mean, even in our day. That's just one mark or one sign that, you know, someone is walking with God as, you know, someone's talking about this person. They say, well, I mean, don't bother inviting them on on this this trip on this Sunday because they're they're always going to be at church. They're a church person and they're always involved. They're always worshiping God. The way they use their time even is an indicator of walking with God. Or maybe was it the way that Enoch used his money? Clearly, he wouldn't have broadcasted it, but maybe he gave away money a lot to people who are poor and just another sign. This, this guy walks with God and so much that it affects all the things that he do, does in the, in the same way in our day. You know, this is another one of those signs when you, you meet someone they give to Christian causes like supporting missionaries and supporting Christ's church and all that. Things that would be, seem foolish to most people, and yet they're invested. And so you say... Yeah, that, that person really is dedicated to God. They, they walk with God. Or maybe was it something like how Enoch talked? We read that he had a family. I'm sure he talked about his family and maybe had hobbies. Maybe he talked about his hobbies. But clearly if he walked with God, there's no doubt in my mind that talking about God was something that probably came up in conversation. Just like today when you, you meet someone who walks with God and the conversation just often will come back to their relationship with God or how they're reading this and how they're growing in this to, to, to learn who Christ is more. And it, it just kind of always seems to come back to Christ. And you're like the way they talk shows that they're walking with God. Or, or here's the flip side. Sometimes the way people don't talk is an indicator of how they walk with God. I'm always amazed by one of the number one ways that people seem to find out that we're Christians is, hey, wait. You didn't just swear every other sentence, and then people think, that's weird. Why don't you do that? And then it's just one of those indicators, and the way you don't talk is another indicator. So I don't know what happened with Enoch. I don't know how people knew that he walked with God, but what's crystal clear is that it was obvious to everyone else around him that he lived differently, differently than the culture around him, differently than others, so much so that they're like, this man walks with God. And not only that, consider the day and age in which he lived. Enoch, according to this genealogy, is the great-grandfather of Noah. And if you know anything about the Bible story, culture at this time is quickly, rapidly descending into almost total chaos. So here's the description of Noah's day as just one chapter later in Genesis chapter 6, where we read these words. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. So Enoch's living a generation or two before this event, 
But I'm sure this didn't just happen immediately. There was a descent down into this where the whole world is falling kind of into chaos and violence is happening everywhere. Not a good time to be living. Enoch was probably at the beginning of all that. And so his life, the way he lived, was so different from the way people around him lived. Just like Noah in his day was a righteous man and he stood out like a sore thumb in some ways where people would say that man lives so differently. This was also true for the early Christian church. If you've done any reading in history, you know that the early church, I mean, this is just Jesus, his 12 disciples, and it it grows rapidly until around the year 300, 50% of the Roman Empire is Christian. So you ask yourself, wow, what happened there? And historians give a bunch of answers, but one of the biggest answers they give for the rapid growth of early Christianity is that Christians lived differently than the culture around them. Countercultural values. So historian Rodney Stark, for instance, identifies a few of these areas. In the ancient world, husbands were allowed to have as many affairs as they wanted, but wives never were. So a total double standard between men and between women. Women and children were not treated kindly in the ancient world. And one of the most clear examples for children was the fact that abortion was a common practice, but not just abortion, infanticide. Infanticide, of course, is when a baby is born, and then the baby is simply discarded to die of exposure. A common practice amongst the Romans, perfectly acceptable within their culture. And yet Christians spoke out against these practices, and the early Christians lived entirely differently from this. First of all, they demanded that men in marriages be faithful to their wives. There is no double standard for you men, is what they would say. If you get married, God has given you the gift of sexuality. You are to enjoy it with your wife and only with your wife. And so men and women were treated equally. Women were elevated in their status. You also, women, are created in the image of God, they would say. You and men together before the cross, your equals, co-equals with each other before the cross. And then, of course, with children, they took treated things very differently, not practicing abortion. And then when it came to infanticide, the most incredible stories of the early Christians would go around, find these babies that were left out to expose to die, and they would bring them home and raise them as their own. That's sacrificial love. They were living so differently from the culture around them and the ways that they viewed sexuality, the way they viewed God, the way they viewed things like the sanctity of life. To walk with God means... Your life's going to look different. So that like Enoch, people are saying, this man's life looks very different from everybody else around him. Same in our day. Just an issue like the sanctity of life from the beginning to the end for us as believers. We do not want to endorse abortion. And yet we also want to come alongside those who've had them and have compassion to them and say, look, God's grace can cover even a sin like this, and God is merciful to those who come and seek his forgiveness. We uphold the sanctity of life in the womb, and we take it all the way to the end of life. And even in our culture right now, I think we will stand out more and more as time goes along. For if you've been following the news, you know that the recent MAID legislation, that is medical assistance in dying, has really opened the doors even wider to practicing euthanasia. But we as believers hold to the sanctity of life right to the end, trusting ourselves to God's timing for when our lives are over, caring for those who are suffering, practicing palliative. So many people in our church are in palliative care, hospice ministry. This is what it means to be a Christian in our culture, to care for the sick, the suffering, and the dying, not taking our own lives and not asking someone else to do it either. 
So we don't claim as Christians ever to be perfect. We certainly never, never want to put ourselves as if we're better than anyone else because we know we're not. We know that we sin. We know that when we sin, we come to our Savior, Jesus Christ, seeking his mercy and grace, and we come to him saying, Jesus, I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, please keep me from all wrong, and I'll be satisfied, Lord, as long as I walk. Let me walk close with thee. So how did people know that Enoch walked with God? Clearly, his whole life must have spoken it. However that was, his life was different. His life was marked as a man who even centuries later, people would say, that man walked with God. So that brings us then to a second question, building up this whole story to the big good parts at the end. I want to ask a second question about Enoch's life, and it's this. When did Enoch's Enoch start walking with God. When did this take place? The answer is clearly stated for us in that little short summary of his life in verse 21 where we read these words. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, here's the key phrase, after he fathered Methuselah. That's the key word, after, right there. So he did not walk with God for the first 65 years of his life. Then his first child is born, and something happens to Enoch after his child is born that up to that point he did not care about God. He did not follow God. He did not walk with God. And somehow his first child is born, and something changes when he holds his boy in his arms. And I don't know about you, but I've seen this so many times in our own day, too. This is a very common pattern. The young people often say, I just want to live for myself. I want to live my own life. Uh, I'm going to go do my own thing. And so they do not walk with God for many of their late teens, early 20s years. And yet then they go and get married. And then they get married. And then they have their first child. And something happens. I have no idea what's going on here. But something happens, having seen this many times, Maybe it's the sense of responsibility to raise the next generation. Maybe it's holding that child in your arms and you just go, wow, I, God exists because the way that this baby is shaped and born, you marvel at God's creation and, and forming a baby. Maybe it's that. Whatever it is, you're thinking about what, how do I raise this? What is, what is right? What is wrong? What does it mean to be human? Maybe it's all these big questions that finally... Your eyes begin to open. You realize, oh, life's not just about living for myself and all my fun and that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden what happens is couples have a new baby and they say, you know what? I think we should go to church. I think we should look into this Christianity thing. And then Christ encounters them and their lives are changed. So often, just like in Enoch's case, it's the birth of a child that causes someone to turn to God and to start walking with them, with him. It might not be that. It could be all kinds of other reasons. Here's some other quick examples in the Bible. For some people, they start walking with God after a crisis happens in their life. I think, for instance, of the Old Testament guy named Jacob. Jacob, is, he's got a messed up life, messed up family, not doing very well, until one night God encounters him. He wrestles with the angel of the Lord, and the rest of his life, after that moment, after this crisis moment, he walks with God, though he walks with a limp as a consequence of what he had done earlier. So also, I think so many of us, we make a mess of our lives. It's broken relationships. Uh, it's even things like alcoholism, drugs, or maybe even crime. And yet then people, when they're down there at the bottom, in that moment of crisis, 
they encounter God and they would say, after I was in that crisis, that's when I began to walk with God. And yet they often walk with a limp like Jacob for the rest of their lives. For others, it's a childhood encounter with God. Think of Samuel, another Old Testament character. God encounters him when he's just a little boy. And he walks with God for the rest of his life. Samuel, like so many children, you just saw it all on the screen, and that was lots of the fun stuff, but you know God is working, there's all the teaching going on there, praying that God and children turning their lives to Christ, so maybe, maybe people receive, maybe you did, receive Christ at a summer kids camp like Urban Adventures, uh, maybe your parents led you to Christ when you were very young, maybe it was Sunday school, I don't know what it would may be, but for some people, they start walking with God after their parents or after somebody, when they were very young, leads them to Christ. And for still others, they start walking with God after a sickness that almost kills them. King Hezekiah in the Old Testament is getting older. He comes very close to death. God has mercy upon him, raises him back up to health, and after that, he begins walking with God. In the same way, how many of us have been going along feeling like we're in control of our lives and suddenly we are deeply humbled when some sickness, disease, or pain comes into our life and we come face to face with our own mortality and suddenly we realize, I need to make sure I'm right with my creator. And it's after the sickness that we begin to walk with God. So in Genesis 5, it says this, Enoch walked with God after He fathered Methuselah. So now let's take out Enoch's name. You put your name in there, and you fill in the rest of the sentence so that the sentence would read something like this. I walked with God after... How do you fill in that blank? I walked with God after my parents led me to Christ as a young child. I walked with God after the car accident nearly killed me. I walked with God after the divorce blew up my life. I walked with God after I attended summer camp. I walked with God after a sermon I once heard. You fill in the sentence. What is the answer to that end of that sentence? What is your life story? That's the question of how do we know how Enoch walked with God? That's the answer also to when Enoch walked with God. Now we come to the good part. Here's the last question. When did Enoch's walk with God end? So he's walking with God. When did his walk end? We talked about how it began. Now let's talk about how it ended. And the answer is, it didn't. Look again at verse 24. We read these words. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, when we were reading Genesis 5, this should have just jumped off the page at you, because this is not the way Genesis 5 was reading, was it? This guy, Enoch, he suddenly just jumps out of the page because there's, there's a pattern to this genealogy, very simple pattern. You know, person A is born, they live so many years, they have kids, uh, and then how does it end? And he died, right? Same pattern every single time all the way through the beginning of Genesis chapter 5. Now, you may not be aware of this, but this pattern of Genesis 5 is unique to all the genealogies in the Bible. If you haven't read the Bible, there's quite a few genealogies in there. Only Genesis 5 follows this pattern. Why is that? Here's one of the keys on why this is one of the great chapters of the Bible. Every other genealogy in the Bible names the person, maybe says something about how they lived, talks about who their kids are, who they begat is the old word, right? They begat some kids, maybe give the kids names, and then that's the end. None of the other genealogies conclude after each person saying, and he died. 
I mean, it's obvious that they died, so why would you need to write, and he died? And yet here in Genesis chapter 5, that phrase, like a drum, just beats all the way through the entire chapter. You cannot escape it. So here's, for instance, is the list of them. Verse 5, Adam, we read about Adam, and he died. Verse 8, Seth, and he died. Verse 11, Enosh, and he died. Kenan, and he died. Mahalel, and he died. Jared, and he died. You getting the point? Methuselah, and he died. Lamech, and he died. That little phrase, and he died, is just like an axe that cuts out the root of every single person's life. They live so long. They had these kids, but here's the ultimate answer over every single life. And he died, and he died, and he died. So why is Genesis 5 saying this? Why emphasize this? Well, you got to read Genesis chapter 5 within the context, reading just the first four chapters of the Bible. How does the Bible begin? It shows you the power of Genesis 5. Genesis 1 and 2, of course, is the story of God creating the world, a world without human death. People are not dying in this world, and, and God is providing all this good stuff for his creatures, and we read that in the evening, in the cool of the evening, God came and walked and talked with Adam and Eve. Talked about encounter, walked with Adam and Eve. Then you come to Genesis 3, and human beings rebel against God, and the consequence of that rebellion of their sin is death. Death enters the world, and everything begins to collapse. And what's the very next story outside the garden to tell us what is life like when we no longer walk with God? You know what it is? What's Genesis 4? It's the story of Cain and Abel. The very first story. Here's a description of life outside the garden where a brother murders his own brother. And then Genesis 5 is placed where it is placed to emphasize the truth of Ezekiel 18.2 that the soul that sins will die. Genesis 5 clearly shows us the truth of Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Or James 1.15, that sin gives birth to death. I mean, it's just a dark, dark chapter. All of humanity in Genesis 5 is standing under this judgment. No one is escaping. And he died, and he died, and he died. Genesis 5 is meant just to make us feel the weight that things are no longer as God originally created them. That something terrible has happened. Sin has come into the world, and with it, death. And here now is the result. But then suddenly... In the middle of the chapter, we encounter this guy named Enoch. And we read that he was no more, not because he died, but because God took him away. So, so you're just left sitting there, what happened? And it doesn't tell us exactly what happened. All we know is he didn't die any normal kind of death. Hebrews 11 puts it like this. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. The only other person that we can think of that maybe his experience was like is that of Elijah, who in 2 Kings chapter 2, we read these words, as Elijah and Elisha were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So, was it like that? We don't know. Genesis 5 just does not tell us. But the big question we got to ask is, why did God take him away and not allow him to experience death? And we're told the answer. 
Two times in these verses. The answer is, he walked with God. The great Scottish pastor Alexander White wrote this. Enoch so entered and so dwelt with God in his own heart that God could not endure to loan him to this world any longer. That's pretty good. Or maybe a little bit more simply, a little girl who told her mom the story of Enoch. And she said, Mom, one day Enoch and God went for a walk together. And they walked and they talked and they talked and they walked. And they went so long that Enoch eventually said, My Lord, it's getting late. I'd better go home. And the Lord said to Enoch, Enoch, we've been walking together a very long time now. And I think we're closer to my house than to your house. So why don't you come home with me tonight? It's almost like Enoch had such an intimate relationship with God, had received the grace of God for his sins, that one day God just said, I think it's time that you just come home now and leave this world behind. There's a lot of mystery around Enoch's life, but in one sense, none of this is a mystery for us now. Because this is where we come to the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that we too can be like Enoch, in a sense, and can pass through death. This is the great story of the Bible. We don't do it like Enoch did. Oh, but ours is better. It's better than Enoch. Because listen, think about this for yourself. Genesis 5 could extend indefinitely into 20,000 pages of names, and every name leading from your great-grandparents to your parents, it will say, and he died, and she died, and he died, and one day your name will be entered into there, and Barton lived so many years, and he died. Every single one of us have the axe coming for the root of our tree. But of course, the Bible's story is that God sent Christ into the world to rescue us from the sin that leads to death and from death itself. But then if you've read the Bible's story, you sit there and go, wait a minute, but Jesus also went to the cross, and you could write, Jesus of Nazareth lived around 33 years, and he died. So if he's coming to rescue us, then how does he die? Sin, death is the consequence of sin. So if Jesus dies, then isn't he right with us in Genesis chapter 5? Isn't he just another person who sinned like us, facing the consequences of his sin? He, he died. And of course, the answer to that is no, he was not on the cross facing the consequences of his own sin, for he had no sin. He was on the cross taking the consequences of our sin. Jesus is the anti-Genesis 5. Jesus is the one who's getting down inside of Genesis 5 and just blowing it all apart because Jesus is going to the cross, taking our sin upon himself, and if our sin has been paid for, then we no longer have to face the consequences that are due to us for our sin, which is death. And so then the great story of the Bible, of course, is that not that Jesus is part of this endless list of and he died. Rather, as Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, Jesus died, but... But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
So Jesus conquers sin. Jesus conquers death. So the best news in the world is that none of us have to just remain in Genesis 5, and he died, and he died, and he died. Rather, anyone who comes to Christ not only has their sins forgiven, but you get to go through death and conquer death. This is the great story of the Bible, that one day Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, he is going to raise us like he was raised from the dead. For the, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. That is to say, anyone who belongs to Christ gets what Christ got. And what did Christ get? Resurrection and a resurrected body. That is, an immortal body that can never die, that will never perish at all. So one day, friends, if you belong to Christ, a day is coming when Jesus will return. He will give us our resurrection bodies, and then we will stand there in our immortal resurrection bodies. And on that day, the saying will come true that death has been swallowed up in victory. On that day, we will say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That is a taunt. That's what those words are. It's a mocking taunt. Death. Talk back to me, death. What do you got? Where's your victory? Where's your sting, death? What do you have? You've got nothing. Because of what Christ has done, I've got a mortal body that is imperishable. Because of what Christ has done, I have come through death. So that And he died, and he died, and he died. Now switches in the gospel to become, in Adam all die. But in Christ all will be made alive. So that now your name reads, and he died, but in Christ he was raised. And she died, but in Christ she was raised. And he lives, and she lives, and he lives, and she lives. And the list of names is the great multitude of all those bought by the blood of the Lamb, brought into eternity, never to die again. But like Enoch... We must all come to this moment in our lives where we stop walking our own way. That's the biblical metaphor for sin, to walk and live your life for yourself. Rather, we must turn out of our own path and begin to walk with God. So how do you do that? Have you done that? You come to Christ and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've lived my own way for so long. I've walked my direction. I want now to turn around and to begin walking with you. And I, will, I want to walk side by side with you. Teach me what it means to walk side by side. So have you come to Christ and said, Jesus, forgive me for walking on my own paths. And Jesus, rescue me from my own sin. Rescue me from death and teach me what it means to follow you. Begin your walk with God today. And to those you do know Christ, and maybe you've walked with him for a long time, is not your longing as you hear this Genesis 5 stuff to be like Enoch, to say, I want to walk more closely with Christ. It's one of the reasons I love to read Christian biographies, you know, from all different centuries. You, you read about how people have walked with God, and you get encouraged by the struggles they've been through, their joys, you learn from them. And just one man I was reflecting on was David Brainerd. He was a missionary in the middle of the 1700s. And although he was a very young man, he walked in such close intimacy with God, far surpassing others, it seems to me. I'll just give you a little samples from his diary. This is old English because it's 1700s. But here's what he wrote on April 28, 1740. He said, God was so precious to my soul that the world, with all its enjoyments, was infinitely vile. That's some good old English phrasing. In other words, the world just 
didn't seem like anything to me compared to Christ. I had no more value for the favor of men than for pebbles. Here's a man who's walking with Christ, knowing such intimacy with him that the allurements of the enjoyments of the world, he's like, yeah, they're good gifts of God, but it's not what I live for. On other days, he wrote of his failings with God. Here's another diary entry. He says, oh, if I ever get to heaven, it will be because God wills it, that God will get me there. For I never did anything, I should say, uh, yeah, I never did anything of myself. I couldn't do anything. The only thing I ever did was run away from God, get away from God. No preacher, no poor creature stands in need of divine grace more than I, not thinking better than he's better than anyone else, and none abuse it more than I have done and still do. And it's not like he's living some crazy life. I mean, he's a missionary, he's living for Christ, he's, but he, he just knows, oh, Jesus, you're so glorious, and why, I don't know why I walk away from you at times, but I have. Or here's a final one, listen to his heart's yearning in his diary. My soul longed with vehement desire to live to God. Oh, for holiness. Oh, for more of God in my soul. Brainerd died at the age of 29. Maybe, like Enoch, maybe he got so close to the heart of God that God said, it's time for you to come home now. We've walked closer to my house than to your house. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know, does this strike a chord in your heart when you hear this, when you hear Brainerd's diary, we hear all the things that we've talked about this morning, I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful to God that he saved me, and all I want to do then is just say, Jesus, I want to walk more closely with you. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.